Hello, hello. Welcome to Tuckered Out with me, Ami Tucker. I am so excited about today's interview. I've been wanting to interview someone that works in the space, space, the space race, either one, for a very long time. Vejpal Bhatia is Chief Revenue Officer at Axiom Space. Axiom Space is a private space company developing its own module for the International Space Station, and they are currently building the first commercial space station. Now, trust me, I didn't know what any of this meant, but thankfully, Dej was very patient with all my questions. We all know that Elon Musk has taken astronauts to the ISS for NASA a few times. And now, next month, on March 30th, the Axiom crew will be traveling to the ISS in a SpaceX Crew Dragon capsule. I think I got that right. Look, I don't care who you are. I think every human on Earth is fascinated by space. This interview, honestly, was very unique and special. And I hope you really enjoy my interview with Tejpal Bhatia. So I will start off by saying, even though I grew up around NASA and around astronauts, I don't know shit about what's happening in space and it's really sad. So I was researching what Axiom Space was last night, what you guys are doing, what's happening. And I'm going to tell you what I've learned and you tell me what if, I, if this is correct. All right. Axiom Space. It's a, it's a pri- privately funded space infrastructure based in Houston. The mission, and you, you'll, and you can stop me after I'm done, but this is what I'm, I'm, I was trying to learn. I was like, this is going to be so silly for him, but I, my audience also may not understand anything. So, okay. So privately funded space infra- infrastructure that is based in Houston. Your mission, Axiom Space mission is to create a thriving home that benefits every human everywhere, which is, I know, very general. You guys were founded in 2016 by Michael Suffredini. I'm going to destroy these names. Michael Suffredini and Cam Ga- Gafton? Gafarian. Gafarian. And you guys, as far as I could tell uh, from my late night research, you guys are going to do two things as, as of now, which is build the first commercial space station and then also expand or, or work on the International Space Station as it is now. Do I have anything of that? Is that all correct? Am I good? Uh, correct. A few things I'd explain, uh, correct you or expand on the two things you okay. said. Not we are going, what we're going to do is build the first uh, commercial space uh, station. We are doing that. So okay. our module, our first module that will be part of Axiom Station is being developed right now in Italy. Uh, okay. with a partner of ours, and that is scheduled to launch and dock onto the International Space Station in 2024, and then a series of modules will dock to it, and eventually the ISS will be decommissioned and separate, and then Axiom Station will be freestanding. So we are actively building that uh, right now. And then the second part I would correct is not that we're working on the current ISS, 
we have access to bring civilians to live and work on ISS. So our first mission is going up March 30th, and four civilians are going up, the first ever all-civilian crew to the International Space Station for a 10-day mission where they will be living and working on station. And that is uh, a precursor, the first step to our vision of that thriving civilization up in space. Right. You guys have four missions set, right? As far as I read on Google and Wikipedia. <laughs> yeah. I mean, what's, what, okay. yes. uh, what's been announced is the first mission is going up uh, March 30th. Uh, right. NASA, a few weeks ago, it might be months now, uh, announced our second mission that's been approved. Okay. Uh, but you're right. We've done um, a four-mission deal uh, so far uh, right. to uh, take people up. Okay. So I want to go back to the International Space Station for all of us useless people that don't know anything. All right. So if you can quickly tell me, we all know, we've all heard of it, right? I mean, I know the history is long, um, but if you can quickly tell me about a little bit about the history of the ISS, and I don't think people understand what it has given us as yeah. humans on Earth, and maybe you could explain some of that. Yeah. Uh, so just so you know, I'm not an expert either. I joined Axiom seven months ago as chief revenue officer. Uh, I was advising the company for a few months, and I made uh, an investment in the company two years ago. And that was my action in my life to say, hey, this is an area I've been passionate about my whole life. I'm going to do something meaningful about it. And my way of doing it was to make uh, an investment. And the years before, when I was at Google, I did a lot of work on the space ecosystem stuff, um, helping startups, helping large companies uh, figure out how to do more entrepreneurial things in space, because this was a passion of mine. So I am far from being an expert. I'll tell you what my understanding of the station is. The people in my company, particularly Mike Suffordini, our CEO, they built the station. They built it. They put it up. They managed it for all these years. So our team, like the experts uh, that are building Axiom stations, are the same people that built uh, the ISS. So they're, they're, the OG. they're the OGs. They're the OGs. I'm right. the, the startup tech Google guy who came from New York uh, to try to figure out how we actually commercialize we, it. We need all of you. Yeah. We need all of you guys. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that, that brings up a great point. So I'll get back to the question of what it's brought us. It is an incredible um, engineering feat, first of all, right? It's the size of a football field. It's orbiting the earth 16 times a day. There are 15 member countries that have come together and cooperated and collaborated on it. It's a pure taxpayer um, endeavor. Um, it is ours. It is our station, you, me, everyone else. And it's brought an incredible amount of technology um, and we could talk about that list, um, everything from like LASIK to several medical advances to just amazing stuff like it, that we use every day. But I think it brought two much more important things. One is hope. Like we can do this. Like what Axiom is saying is not even remotely impossible. It is real. Starting a startup is really freaking hard. But, uh, you know, so is putting up a station. But these are the experts that know how to do it. And hopefully my experience and the other people on my team, we have that startup experience as well. Um, and then the third piece is diplomacy. Look what's going on in the world right now. Look at the countries that are at odds. That's not happening up there. That, that hasn't happened. You know, and like it just shows what is possible um, when it comes to humanity. Right. No, I, I love that. And I definitely want to talk more about your philosophical point of view and all that. 
The other thing that I read about the ISS is that it's finite, right? So what does that mean? Is it yeah. going to die? Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't under What is that? And then if that's the case, is this, again, I'm asking as a pure layman, is this first commercial space station that you guys are currently building going to replace it? Yeah. So great questions. The answer is a finite. Yes. It's a piece of equipment, right? It's, right. it has a lifespan and we're already extending that. You hear news often about things that don't work, but it's a, it's a work in progress. The astronauts that go up there are trained to maintain it, but it is like a piece of equipment, right? You don't have your dot matrix printer from 30 years ago. You know, like maybe you do, but no, mine's I'm, Indi- like, I'm Indian. So yeah, so. I was, was going to say mine's at my parents' house. Don't worry. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah but, uh, but the point is it, it will become obsolete. Um, and it'll become a liability and a danger. Is there a timeline for that that you guys yeah, know, you know of? Or? Yes, uh, it's recently been pushed to 2030 if it'll last to 2030, right? So when I say it's been pushed 2030, that is the government deciding that it'll be. Right. And Axiom Station, so the strategy behind our contract with NASA, we're a private company, we're a venture back right. company. The contract we got with NASA ensures that there's no gap in human presence in low Earth orbit. Right. So whenever the ISS will be decommissioned, Axiom Station will be there. And people always ask me what will happen. There's been a new report that's going to go into the ocean. You know, some people say it deorbits and it'll burn up in the right. uh, atmosphere. For our desi audience, I'll say I like to say it's going to be cremated. Some some kind of puja will be happening. <laughs> yeah, that was my next question. Like, what's what's going to happen to that? football field, right? Like that's obviously in space, that's nothing, but still like ISS has been around what, 30 years now, 40 years. Oh uh, yeah. Oh, uh, not 40. Yeah. Like, yeah. Oh, not 40. Yeah. All right. It's, it's younger than that, but younger than that. equipment. And I guess I'm going to rewind a little bit in terms of uh, talking about Axiom space um, and all these, you know, private companies Maybe silly question, but you know, obviously the space program ended in 2011 for NASA is that the reason why Axiom Space was born, Space SpaceX was born, is to continue this work? Yeah, that's an interesting way to frame it. Is that the reason these were born? I could probably comfortably say yes. I would also say it's kind of mutually has come together, right? It's evolved right. this way. Uh, right. So yes, like SpaceX is a great example for you to use, right? Uh, the A commercial company is now allowing the agency to go up to space, right? This right. is much more efficient and effective, and it's been proven what that company can do and how fast they can innovate and how quickly they can bring costs down. That's right. not necessarily something that the government is equipped to do well. Right. Axiom is that same model. Just like the station is uh, public, Axiom is private. And right. that public-private partnership, and this comes back to something you had asked earlier, is what has it given us? You were saying before how we need everybody, the engineers, the, the, the rocket scientists, the startup people. Yes, and we also need the government. We need the um, institutions. We need the private individuals. This is a public-private partnership unlike any in human history. And it right. requires that. It's not just going to become commercial overnight. right? It has to be a very coordinated effort, just like the ISS was a very coordinated effort across countries. Right. It's kind of like parallel to it's it's public private. It's it's all countries all over the world. It's kind of just a human uh, project, I guess, yeah. you can, or experiment. 
And I didn't have, I, I wanted to ask you, I just thought of this question. Um, and I don't know if you know the answer to this. You know, Axiom Space, SpaceX, and, and other organizations like you guys, why not give the money that you guys have to NASA and start that program there again? Because I assume they stopped because of money. Or am I totally wrong? You're probably right and wrong. Remember, that money comes from budgets. It's uh, our money, taxpayers. Right. And government decides on that. And the agency is a shepherd of it. I don't, but I think where the question is off is why wouldn't we give that money to NASA? Think, think of us as vendors for NASA, right? Like NASA is buying those services from us. And because of that um, public private partnership and where we're starting with many times they fund um, awards to companies to go figure out how to commercialize. How do we make right. this better? Um, so for example, like the cost of Axiom Station is a fraction of the cost of the ISS because the private sector can do it that way. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, again, layman's question. I'm just, this is kind of like, well, if they have all this money, give it back to NASA and like, cause we grew up with NASA, right? Like I have the NASA t-shirts, like that's yep. what we know. Okay. So the first commercial space station that you guys are building, currently building, will host government astronauts, private companies, individual explorers, space tourists, I guess. Can you expand on this? You know, what, what I've been reading is like, you know, anyone, maybe not again, but anyone can, if they pay for it, can spend 10 days up in space. They have a 15 week kind of training. I read something about Tom Cruise and a Tom Cruise movie you guys were involved with. I don't know if this is all false information, <laughs> but just wanted to check with you. What is that? What does the first commercial space station really mean? And what is the, I guess, projected timeline for it to, to complete? Yeah. So it's great research you've done. And I would correct you on one thing. You know, I think you said space explorers. I think that's a wonderful way of putting it. I've actually been looking for a term um, and I, I, I will borrow that from you. Uh, I mean, you, it's not for me. It's from like one of my many searches. <laughs> good. good. Uh, uh, you know, great artists. What is it? Good artists borrow, great artists steal. Right. But yeah. So um, totally. We, we stay away from space tourists. I think it has a, um, a negative connotation. Right. And, and it gets to your question. A little of pretentious. Like, a little pretentious. And it gets that question of who can afford it can go. And if I am successful... Uh, but let me rephrase that. If I get what I want and I usually get what I want, that question would be flipped. It won't be who can afford it. It'll be who deserves to go to move humanity forward. And right now it's, it's very expensive. And I don't think that expense is going to go that much down. Like it's still going to be a lot and it will still be prohibitive financially for a lot of people, but the whole value of commercializing it, and this is your question, what does that mean is I want to flip those models. I want to either subsidize that cost, or I just want to make that cost not even an issue. Like, yes, yeah. people will go up on a rocket, and let's say that rocket costs me however many tens of millions, hundreds of millions, whatever number you want. Put it out right. there at the cost. Right. But that rocket going up adds a billion dollars of enterprise value to my company. Then I don't really care what that cost of that rocket is. And the four people on it, sure, if I can build a market and, and pay, and people can pay for it, and there's a nice, uh, travel industry there, which there might be, but I think we're, we're going to be creating a lot of new industries. Great. But also if I can put four people that will really bring that 
progress to humanity on that on that rocket, I would much rather do that. And that to me is that that to me is the ultimate vision. Like when we say things like democratizing space, it doesn't mean making it cheaper. It means making it accessible. Accessible. Yeah. I mean, I think I kind of imagine this genius kid in India or whoever, whatever, like that belongs there, right? Uh, but ha- would have no access or yep. money to, to make it happen. And it would be great to figure out a way for to get that kid up there. Whatever. Was, it, was, whatever. That, what, was that genius kid you? 100%. Oh my, yeah, I know. <laughs> I, uh, I failed organic chem freshman year. So I did not become the doctor my parents wanted to be. <laughs> but I became a lawyer. And then I married a nice Hindu man. So we're all good. It yeah. all worked out. <laughs> we, we, maybe later in the interview, I'll tell you a doctor story also. Oh, you! Oh, please. I love Dr. Stroh. I mean, that's, my whole thing is like the model minority. Yeah. You know, uh, although, you know, you went, you went to it's, Columbia. It's not, I'm sh- uh, it's not what you think. It's not what you think. Okay. What, well, please remind me. I want to hear this. All right. The other thing I wanted to ask you about that I was, I'm, I was trying again, trying to learn last night at 2am after my kids went to sleep. You guys talk about low cost, low, low earth orbit platform. And then, of course, decades of human space flight management experience, which is obviously your leadership. So explain to me what that means. What is low Earth orbit platform? Do I need to know about this? Is this something that's like a vital part of Axiom Space? You know, what, what I, do you need to know about it? No, I hope not. I hope the average person never needs to know about it. And again, this is me being successful in my role as chief revenue officer. Uh, and it goes back to your previous question about what does it mean to commercialize? And then to my point about if I'm right, it won't be about who can afford. So what the platform gives us is the ability to launch new businesses, new industries, new markets. It's all brand new, right? There's literally not a single meeting that I don't walk out from with a customer where I'm pretty certain this is the first time in human history that conversation has ever been. That's pretty exciting, by the way. It's, it's mind blowing. Like I, I'm getting goosebumps yeah. talking about it. It's crazy. Yeah. It's yeah. crazy. And, um, and I know this because those parties, and it's usually, you know, Fortune 100 Corporation, uh, an institution, an individual, a country, uh, us, those parties have never been in a room talking about this challenge this way ever. It wasn't even possible before. That's why I'm certain it's the first time. And I'm so privileged to be in those conversations. Now, the platform I'm talking about is when it comes to these different industries, we talked about travel. That's kind of a, an obvious one. Real estate could be an obvious one. Cloud computing, data centers, communications, biotech, research, pharma, entertainment. It's probably I could probably rattle off 15 more. But we'll probably start with terrestrial business models. Similar things we know, but pretty quickly, we're going to see a lot of opportunities. And for us as the first commercial space station, it's really important to me that we don't pave the road so everyone else can go over it. Right. Right? I want to build that platform where I give access to every company, every startup, to every content creator to do whatever that model is. And if that platform can generate revenue for me in a win-win way, just like cloud computing, Amazon Web Services has done for startups... That's multiple trillion dollar companies, right? Well, now. you're you're a startup guy. You're yeah. an entrepreneur. You know this, yeah. yeah. And it also gets my vision. If I if I can build those multiple trillion dollar companies and put billions of dollars of enterprise value every time a rocket goes up, I can make this successful for everyone. Right. 
I'm going to ask you a, a straight up, a blunt, honest question. I'm not sure if you want to answer it. Like you mentioned, Axiom is, is building currently the, the first commercial space station. You know, we grew up with, with NASA and, and competing with Russia uh, to, to get to space. Is there any of that now with what you guys do? Any competition, maybe not with Russia, but just in general with, with the U.S. being the first? Yeah, there is. Also, remember, we're a private corporation. And right. But you're still American, right? An American we're corporation. American. We're still American, right. of course. But our first customers I can speak about are Italy. The second is Hungary. Like we, We've done these deals with them. These are deals I've done in the last seven months with my team, uh, with the support of our leadership and a lot of diplomacy. Uh, this is a global uh, initiative and enterprise. Is there a competition? Yes. Um, should there be competition? Absolutely. The competition you're talking about, so it's interesting, like we were competing with Russia, the space race when we were kids, all this stuff. But right. get to my point about what's happening up there, that diplomacy, what's happening on the borders there and what we're hearing in the news right now is it's different, right? Like right. where, and as you hear this from a lot of astronauts when they come back is when they look down on our planet, they don't see borders. There's literally no borders, right? Like that's on maps that were given to us. And if you look at our history, our, our, our DNA, the, the South Asian, like those, and actually anyone, I shouldn't just say ours, those lines that were created are completely arbitrary by people who had no business making those lines. Totally. Right? So like when people get up there and they see that and they realize that this is our home, they're not talking Manhattan, New York City, uh, US, India. Connecticut to Brooklyn that I was complaining about. Yeah. 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 Totally. Yeah. No, I, I, and I love that. I, I did, I did view all the videos that Axiom had about that. So I, I love that concept. So I also was viewing the year in review video that you, that Axiom had, Axiom Space had, and there was a lot of major milestones. I know you just joined 2000, last yeah. year, 2021. Yeah. Could you just, for, just for listeners, cause we do have a bunch of listeners here, but a lot abroad summarize some major milestones during the pandemic yeah. this past year that you guys have hit? Yeah, I'd say the biggest one is they hired this guy from Google as chief revenue officer. <laughs> <laughs> it was huge. It was wow, like, Wow, did not expect yeah. that one. Yeah. I was, I mean, I was thinking that, but I was yeah. like, I don't know if I should say it. And so, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there, yeah. Uh, other big milestones. Um, we, like I mentioned, Italy is a customer. Um, we signed them, uh, Hungary, uh, we signed them. I, I got to actually sign that contract in Washington, DC in front of, uh, the shuttle with the Hungarian ambassador. Again, the fact that that is that I can even say that I couldn't have even scripted that eight months ago. You're like, what is happening? How is this real? Yeah. Like what? (laughs) A funny story about that. I'm like, okay, I'm coming in. This is like, I don't know anything about DC or politics. And I'm like, here I am signing an official accord with a government official. I have my suit on, which I literally have not worn since my wedding, probably. Yeah, and of course not. You're a startup guy. You don't need to wear suits. And I walk <laughs> in and I don't mean to call out the ambassador. Like I, I, I am friendly with him, so I, I think he'd appreciate it. I walk in so proud in my suit and I see the rocket and I'm sending pictures to my wife and my parents. And the dude walks in with a bomber jacket. And nice. I love him. Like, he is so badass. He is so badass. And when I can do that, I'll, I'll, I know I've been successful. I think you probably could. I probably could, yeah. I think you I probably. Think, yeah. I think, why, why wait? 
my friend. You should just go ahead and do it. That's yeah. awesome. Then, then other milestones. I mentioned the countries of revenue. Yeah. Um, you know, NASA did award our second mission. We set the date for our first mission. A lot of milestones on the module that we're building. Uh, our partnership with uh, SpaceX. The NASA award that happened. Actually, that, that happened before the pandemic. But, right. you know, uh, for us, it's called the port contract for us to be able to dock on station. Those were all the major milestones. Wow. Pretty yeah. This you need to do a whole. You need to make a like film all this. This sounds like a. It could be like a movie. All right. So I want to go back to uh, what you had mentioned philosophically a little bit about you know the borders and all this stuff. You've kind of already answered it, but one, what are your thoughts on uh, when people say space space exploration? People like me who don't know shit uh, is a waste of money. You know, right? Like, let's focus. Like, the Earth is already messed up is enough. Like, why don't we focus on what the hell is happening here? It's a disaster right now. Yeah. So, what's your answer to that? Yeah, you know, and I'm I'm glad you asked. I've never actually publicly thrown my hat in the ring with my opinion because who am I? I'm you know I'm not the space guy. I just got here. Um, I have a fundamental problem with the premise of that argument. The people that okay. make it. Um, are immediately assuming that the two are mutually exclusive. Right. They're immediately assuming it's a zero-sum game. But, Dej, a lot of people think that way. They don't know, right? Well, hear me out. Well, the people saying it don't think that way. The, I mean, like, the, the average person who's not, like, I'm talking about the people that are saying those. It's, it's a great headline. It's a really great punchline. But I'll, I'll, I'll get back to it. I implore those people to just ask themselves a question um, when they say stuff like that. So first of all, it's not mutually exclusive. It never has been, right? Not not like, and it's not zero sum. A dollar spent there isn't a dollar here. All the value it brings from a scientific standpoint can all be applied on Earth. So think about it. We have to keep people alive all the time up there. That's far away. It's not directly connected to the internet the way we are down here. So if there has to be self-diagnosis, diagnosis, telemedicine, artificial intelligence on devices, if you can do that on the freaking space station, you can do that in remote parts of India and Africa. So don't tell me that, and not you, um, don't tell me that by spending it, we're spending it there and not spending it here. We are literally choosing not to do it here. So for all the people that go out and say, why are we spending up the money, spending money up there and not spending it here? I ask them all. Write it. It's awesome. It's clickbait. You will get the advertising dollars you want. But ask yourself, what are you doing besides complaining? Are you helping? What are you doing about all the people here that are starving? Nothing. But we're complaining about what we're doing up there. Now, we can talk about the, the, the narratives and the people and all that stuff all day and all night. But what the space program has brought us what the commercialism of, stage, of space will bring us far outweighs any of these arguments in terms of benefit, and it right. will make Earth better. And if all it does, forget all this technical stuff, forget the financial stuff, right? does one, one of these two things. One is provide hope. Create a generation of boys and girls around the world who know it's possible. Anybody can come. I'll, I'll give you my address. Come to my house and tell me it's not worth it. And if we can create just a little bit of peace in all this fucked upness that we have here, tell me it's not worth it. And then go write your headline. Right. Solid answer. Love it. 
I've been thinking about this my whole life. Like I've, I've never actually said it publicly, but it's, it's how I felt. And it's not intellectual. I don't even think it's emotional. I think it's something wired in me that it, maybe it's not wired in other people. And that's okay. I think it's a wired in a lot more people than you think. But I, I also think there is a, um, I've lived, and I'm sure as you have, in a lot of places. And I, I currently, before Greenwich, I was in Arkansas for a couple of years. And just people think differently, right? And, like and don't, be, don't, don't be so sure. I was born two miles from here where I live. And I grew up 27 miles from here. So my entire life has been on one island. Got it. I've, I've traveled but, quite a bit. I've traveled uh, quite I'm sure you've traveled quite a bit. Of course. Yeah. Of course. Um, I just, that, that island is Manhattan in case anyone's questioning. The only island that counts. Are you kidding yeah, exactly. me? Right now? I know. I'm already like, I'm, why do we live in the suburbs? God. Yeah. Uh, anyways. No, I think that's a fantastic answer. I agree with you. Well, maybe people won't, but um, it is what it is. And then... I'm going to ask you a cheesy podcast question just because this is what I do. And I think you've already mentioned it, but you can reiterate. What do you think is the most beautiful thing about space and space exploration? Yeah, it's hope. It's hope. It is a dream that consumed me at age three, never left me, pulled me out of the darkest places. uh, And what it can provide the world is, is incredible to me. Um, yeah. I also think that diplomacy is important. I think that's a good answer to give yeah. in my role right now. But no, it's, yeah. this is the story of like daydreams is not even the right word. I don't know. It is. I think it is. I think it's daydreams. I think, uh, you know, again, I was looking through the, the website and listening to all the videos and, and some of the astronauts were talking and the leaders were talking uh, about, God, like, you know, nowadays, like the Russia, whatever, whatever country. But then like when you go up there – you got everyone, we're like a team, like we're all really a team and like no one's realizing this, like this, the bigger, the bigger, bigger, the biggest picture of life, yeah, right? A wonderful, wonderful way to put it. And I think you guys have the privilege of, of knowing that daily, I think, which yeah. a lot of us are just kind of sitting here doing the fucking social media bullshit and not thinking <laughs> about the biggest picture of life, right? Which is what... I, I love that you're able to be part of that. I think that's, yeah, it's, it's fantastic. Okay, so we're going to go to current news, which, you know, I Googled again last night. Again, at 2 a.m. But Axiom Space AX-1, did I get that right? Yes. Launching March 30th. Okay, so you guys just revealed your team of four. Is it amateur astronauts? Can I say that? Uh, we say private astronauts, okay. three of them, but if you want to use the amateur word, three of them are first time, uh, okay. commander, uh, is a hall of famer astronaut, Michael Lopez Alegria. And he, um, he's been stationed multiple times and he is an experienced astronaut. He's going okay. as Axiom's commander. So he's not amateur. So just private astronauts. Yeah. Or civilian, or civilian, civilian Civilians, yeah. right. And they have paid 55 mil to spend eight days on ISS. All right. So besides the fact that they pay the money, are these astronauts vetted in terms of like who you guys pick? Like how does this work? Yeah. So you may have mentioned this. uh, They're training right now in Houston. Uh, They are training to go up. They cannot go up there unless they're fully trained and approved to go up there. You can't, what does like, training involve, I guess? Like, is that a um, long process? Yeah. Just just like a professional astronaut would would go through. Like, okay. you're going through um, probably a lot of procedural training. 
uh, safety training, um, mental and physical training. And I know that word space tourist is thrown out a lot, but you can't just go up to station, right? You can't just go around like, Hey, I'm going to hang out. Like it's right. It's very serious business up there. Like this is right. life and death. And like we, you have to be trained in all aspects of it. So their training is really hardcore. And I know the narratives talk about the money and all this stuff, but the commitment to me is the most important part because you are dedicating your life for this mission. Uh, you're sacrificing your time with your family from your business. You got to imagine the people that get to this level who can afford it. They're not just people hanging out. They got there because they built. Yeah, real- they're not. They're not on the beach. Right? Yeah, yeah. Right, right, and right, right. so it is. It is a real thing. And what's interesting is people often focus on the financial aspects of these people. But if you look at their profiles, they are entrepreneurs, pilots, you know, hustlers. Like they are, they are extraordinary humans as astronauts are. Um, But their access path was this, but they are training. They're going up as, you know, um, fully trained astronauts when they go up there. Well, these people don't, get to afford this kind of lifestyle for no reason, right? They've they've made it happen for in whatever way. I, I got to ask really quick, has there been any private uh, civilians that have applied to this? I, I don't know how many have, but that you ha- you've had to reject because of they couldn't pass certain tests? It's interesting that you say it applied. Um, I don't know if you just, I don't know if this Yeah, no, no, no. Like, I mean, they're, there is and there isn't an application process. It's not like so many people in the world can do this. So it's like, you know, like it's 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 a little bit of recruiting and networking right. and meeting folks. Yeah, people do get rejected. Um, it's not it's not as severe as I thought. You know, like there's this um, myth where like astronauts are superhuman and they are in, in many ways. But it, it really one day I might write a book about astronauts being the ultimate entrepreneurs like this every astronaut that's been to space there is some incredible story i mean yeah about how about how they made it happen it's not like i was top of my class a plus a plus a plus and i got selected and i'm just no everyone like they wanted it they knew why and they figured out how and they never gave up like it's there's there's no slam dunk story right that's that's also true for private astronauts which is always the best stories for people that made it, right? So these guys are going up uh, March 30th, right? On a SpaceX crew Dragon capsule. Did I get that right? Is yep. that right? So that's yep. you guys partnered with SpaceX. Yeah. I, mean, okay. I assume like we, we charter their ship to take chartered us ship. to okay. SpaceX Falcon 9. Tell me about that. Tell me about that ship or module. What, what do I call it? Um, uh, rocket, a ship. Rocket uh, ship, if you like. Uh, so, if you had to compare that to the old school NASA days, yeah. is it insanely crazy high tech? Yes. So, I, again, I'm not the expert. I've been inside one. I've been to SpaceX recently for the first time and saw the training. These are not my words. These are the commander's words. But he calls the old shuttle. He uses a, a, a vehicle. I'm going to say. Um, a Yugo, but it's something else. It's something even more obscure. Uh, whereas the Falcon is a Tesla. 
Like okay. everything is touchscreen. Everything is like beautifully designed, looks super cool and modern. Um, but I think the bigger innovation, it is super cool and modern, is that when that goes up, the the rockets are reusable. That's why cost has come down. Think about shuttle. That thing would go up. Everything would shoot off. Right, right. Never shoot off and done. Yeah, yeah right. All the right. stuff comes back. It's repurposed and goes up again. <laughs> okay. Well, that's a whole other podcast because I don't understand. Anyways. So, okay. So, they go up. They're doing the eight days of experiments. I think I've read in a couple articles. We don't know what kind of experience, experiments they are just because maybe you guys aren't announcing it yet. Or do we know what they are? And then if we do know what they are, how are they trained to do this? Yeah, well, I mean, we do. I mean, we put out a couple of posts about maybe not okay. all of them, but a good okay. number of them. Each of the astronauts is uh, has several uh, charities that they work with. So okay. Mayo Clinic, Cleveland Clinic, uh, Montreal's uh, Children Hospital, Montreal Children Hospital, um, the Ramon Foundation in Israel. Uh, there's several more. Um, I'm, okay. I'm not doing justice to what they're what these uh, people are doing. And they're doing a series of experiments up there, uh, everything from cancer research to um, other STEM-related uh, things. And the, I think part of the reason why you don't see too much detail is one thing I think a lot of people don't realize is how much coordination has to go in with NASA in terms of approving every second that they're up there. So in-orbit activities, it's like no joke. It's like you think we could go up and do something and have fun and whatever. And there is fun up there. I don't I don't mean that way. But like every gram is accounted for. Every second is accounted for. Like is NASA still kind of like mom and dad? Yeah. I mean, they, they own, uh, you know, for, for us, I mean, like there are. That is the ISS for us. Now, the whole point of Axiom Station is that it commercializes it. Once our modules up, we can go just to our side. Once our station's there, then it's private. But okay. and it'll still be highly coordinated with NASA, of course. But right now, like the the coordination with NASA is literally, like I said, space, uh, Axiom is the end-to-end mission provider. SpaceX is the charter vehicle that takes us up there, and the ISS is where the astronauts are staying and working. Got it. Very cool. Okay, so this is, and again, correct me if I'm wrong, the first time an all-civilian crew has visited the ISS. Is that right? Okay. All right. So again, as, as a person that knows nothing, what are like the biggest concerns? Are there any concerns or, and then also like, why do an all civilian crew, is there like a marketing purpose for this or a reason for this? Interesting question. So are there concerns? Yeah. I mean, tons. I'm primarily safety, right? It's with any, any humans going to space, human space flight is right. uh, Risky. And like I said, it's very serious. I'm, I'm like a joking type of person, but like, yeah, these are my friends. These are people that are going up. It's re- really like uh, scary. And then up on station, there's a lot of risks. But let's put those aside for a second. And the question, why? What's the reason? Is there marketing purpose? Hopefully there's marketing value. For me, it's a demonstration. It's a milestone, right? This is NASA taking the first little step towards commercialization, right? And Axiom's role is to nudge them, nudge the agency. Uh, and they want this. They want this. This is why uh, SpaceX gets the contracts, why Axiom gets the contracts, because we are commercializing space with them. So this is the first step of many. So all those other businesses we talked about, all those other things we can do up there, 
this is the first step. It proves several things. It proves we can do it, proves the agency can do it, uh, and it proves that it's possible. Right. And from there, everything else will be built. So I have two more questions on this because I'm just, well, one, I'm very curious about the four flags that you guys, I think, are carrying on this, on this, on this flight. Is it, is it because the, the four members of the crew are from different countries? Yeah. Okay. What flags are they? Spain, US, Canada, Israel. All right. Very cool. And then the other question I had, just because, again, I'm a child of the 80s, NASA, blah, 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 it's just such a part of our DNA. Does all of this help in some weird way renew NASA again, like keep it alive in, yeah. in our, like, the American thread of society? Yeah, and I would say, you know, I'm the same way, right? Like, and I just love that, like, when they went back to the worm logo and now like all the t-shirts and like maybe other people hate this, but I think it's cool. Like it's a brand that maybe other people don't think is cool, but I think it's really cool as a brand. Like I know it's a government agency, but wow. Like what did they create with that? Like it's incredible. Yeah. I, I, I know there's probably a lot of crap behind it, but just as a, it's it, for me and, and I'm sure for you, it's more childhood and like being proud of being American and just, there's so much that goes with it. Right. I, I believe what we're doing what SpaceX is doing, what other companies will do, not only revives it, but it makes the agency relevant again. Right. And I can't speak at all on behalf of the agency. Um, but yeah, I mean, its existence and its purpose, I actually believe all this stuff makes that more clear. Right. Very cool. That, that's awesome. Okay. I'm going to talk about you really quick. I'm, I'm sure you hate talking about yourself, but got to do it. So I got I to gotta hear about your journey a little bit. Where'd you grow up? Was it a typical Desi household where your parents like doctor, lawyer, engineer? How did that work out for you? Yeah. So this is that doctor story I wanted to tell yes. you. Yes. Tell me. Love um, it. So I grew up uh, here in New York. My parents moved uh, 1972. My mom is a doctor and my dad is an engineer. Okay. And the story I want to tell you is about narratives we tell ourselves. Right. And we, literally you and me and probably a lot of people listening to this, are guilty of telling this, you have to be a doctor, lawyer, or uh, engineer story. And I hate starting my story with a limitation. Mm. And I hate starting my story blaming someone else. I have to be. Someone's making me. When has anyone made you do anything? Right? Like, we can grow up a little bit. And... The other thing, and I know you mentioned you had kids. How old? Eight and five. Okay. So you're probably already realizing this. Our parents did their best. Right. Right. They came from another country. I can't even imagine my dad getting here in New York City, 25 years old, way younger than me, no clue, and making it happen. Right. And then here I am blaming them. I have to be a doctor and a lawyer. Like, that's really right. nice of you guys, right? But- I'm still that guy, so I, I will blame them. But I'm going to tell you a story <laughs> about being a doctor. I do a lot of these astronaut dinners. Uh, we go to major events, Formula One races, yacht shows, Super Bowl, when a lot of important um, potential customers, agencies, partners are around, and we do these dinners before. Right. And an astronaut comes, speaks. I give a little spiel about Axiom. Great. Awesome dinner. Amazing life. Again, I literally cannot believe I'm saying all this. And I'm, go getting, on a plane, and I'm getting on a plane to LA tomorrow morning. So 
my presentation starts with a picture. And that picture is from 40 years ago, three years old. Me, my dad, and my sister. And we're in front of, um, we're at uh, Kennedy Space Center in front of the giant building, the, uh, the Saturn V building. And I know, for, I know that was the moment my obsession started. Really? And I know. I How know. old are you again? Three. Three. Wow. Obsession to the point, and this is where the story goes. Five years old, six years old at uh, school, I literally can't focus on anything because I'm thinking about the astronauts. My first report card comes home and my mom reads it and freaks out. He's not paying any attention. So we have our parent-teacher conference and my mom asks me, uh, what, what are you daydreaming about? And I thought it was a little weird that I was daydreaming because I wasn't. I was thinking. And I was like, the astronauts. And it kind of became like, oh, this his head's in the clouds. They freaking put me in all remedial classes. They put me in English as a second language, which is racist as fuck because no. I'm an English speaker. <laughs> they put me in speech therapy. I don't have a list. Like, they literally put me, and I, I don't want to be in a... I have more of a list than you do, by the way. Yeah. I don't know. They put me in remedial classes because I was, I'm like, they didn't and I, know. Right. And the narrative is what would the white kids' parents do? That kid would be an astronaut right now. You know, like a kid would have gone to space camp. My parents told me, totally. I my parents told me I was not to go to space camp. I'm like, why? Cause it's sleep away. So I'm like, all right. my friends, my, all my friends go to it's sleep. Buckwass, away. Buckwass. It's buckwass. No, no. Just... This is what my parents said. What, what, what's wrong with sleep away camp? All my friends go to sleep away camp. Their parents don't love them. Yeah. And I'm right, like, oh, totally. okay. Totally. So, no, and now I look back, they're like cheap as fuck. Yeah, they don't yeah, want yeah. me to pay for that stuff. Your parents but... could have called my parents and they could have talked about the same thing. It's fine. Yeah. And then we would have yeah. gotten in trouble. Like, you know, right. so again, this is getting right. back to the narratives. I'll get to the doctor's story. So that has become my narrative mm. that I've always wanted to be an astronaut and it was shot down. And take that to the next level. I should be a doctor, a lawyer, or whatever. Take that wherever right. you want. And in my mid 30s, I was a startup founder for many years. It, it took an emotional toll on me. I, uh, I fell into a really deep and dark depression. And my parents were amazing during that. And space got me out of it. Space really got me. And then I came out, I'm like, you know, and I came out better. It took a lot of time, a lot of therapy, a lot of medication, a lot of love. Uh, but I came out. Came out on the other side. And you know what? I'm done with this. I'm done making excuses. First, it was my mom saying, uh, you know, the teacher saying I daydream. Then when I applied to be an astronaut, I couldn't even do a freaking pull-up. So I'm like, oh, I'm not strong enough. Then my eyes started going bad. I can't see. Then, um, oh, man, I did so bad in college that I'm never going to go to grad school. And you actually have to have a graduate degree to become an astronaut. So I'm like, oh, all these excuses. And I'm like, I'm done with this. This is what I want. I'm going to make it happen. At one of the astronaut dinners, I'm um, sorry. So um, oh, I'll get to this. It's a little That's okay. I love it. Go. I get the job and I call my dad. My dad's an engineer, right? This is awesome. I'm doing it. My dad built a Javits Center here. And I'm like, I'm building the Javits Center in space, dad. And my dad's like, oh, that's cool. You know, you should, you know, we're really going to be excited, mom. And I'm like, why? And he's like, it's been your mom's dream to be an astronaut her whole life. What? So I'm like, what? I'm like, put her on the phone. I'm like, mom, what's that talking about? He, she's like, wow, I'm so proud of you. If they need a guinea pig, I'll be the first to go. And you never knew this? Never knew this. Never even asked. And How? I'm obsessed with this. 
How, why would she not tell you? So oh. I asked her, I come home, I'm like, mom, what, how could I not know? Like, I'll take the full responsibility. I feel horrible. Like, I didn't even know you. She's like, yeah, I wanted to be a fighter pilot when I was in India. And I was too short. So I became a doctor. Wow. And I'm like, wow, we don't even know our parents. We don't. We don't. Know. Know we, don't. we don't. You're right. So at one of the astronaut dinners... And I'm telling the story. There's my dad. He's so good looking and skinny. He's got a small <laughs> on. And that's America. Yeah. <laughs> he asked me, hey, who took that picture? It was my mom who took the picture. And not, I don't, not only do I not ever give her credit for it, but I was stuck in my story. Right. And yeah, imagine yeah, what a mom is thinking coming from India. And your kid is the only kid in the school who doesn't look like anyone, is bullied a lot. I had a turban and is lacking all confidence and is all of a sudden in trouble at school or perceived trouble for daydreaming. Wow. Imagine, what, imagine the fear that puts in someone who's trying to assimilate. Of course. Of course. Right? Of and course. I'm blaming myself. Look, my parents aren't perfect. We're not perfect either. No one is. Right. You know, so I think back and this is that doctor narrative. I'm not, I'm, if I'm going to use a narrative, I'm going to create that narrative. Right. I'm not going to take anyone else's narrative. So I just to take, take it to a positive note. I told my son and I'm like, your dad's working on a space station. He's like, that's cool. And I'm like, you ever want to go? <laughs> and he's six. And he's like, you know, I'm, this is his words. I'm not, I'm not, he's like, I'm really proud that you're living your dream. But rockets kind of scare me. Oh, so I'm like, I'm like, cool, man. My dream, not yours. I'm yeah. glad you I'm like, what about you? And he's like, ah, I'd rather be a professional basketball player. Cool. So I'm like, All right, you do you, man. You do you. Yeah. How, old is, how old are your kids? Six. Only I have one. He's six. One, six. Yeah. I, I mean, that's I, I love that you told me that story. And thank you for sharing it. I think one, I think the one, the, the one, a few things I took out of this. One, your parents and my parents are, are probably, they're, they're all the same. Uh, in terms of like the love and, and how they came here and all this stuff. And I don't blame them. We, do, we can't blame them. They came here to make it happen there was no what's our dream and what do we want to do they're like let's make it happen how can we make it happen there's these few jobs that are nine to five or whatever it is that will make money our kids will be fine so i get that but i think too i think you're very lucky because i'm still trying to talk to my parents about i i, I asked them recently i've asked them within the past couple of years what do you what were you passionate about what did you love and I still feel like they don't know – they never tapped into it, ever. They weren't allowed to, whether that's where they, the way they grew up, they got married early, whatever. So I think it's great that you learned a little bit more in terms of what your mom wants. Like it's very cool. It's a very cool yeah. discovery and it kind of gives you insight into yourself. And I think it's so – like comes full circle that your mom – that's so crazy that your mom wanted to be an astronaut. So I love that. So – uh, you know, you went to Columbia and then from there you worked in corporations like Google and City. And then obviously you've had extensive entrepreneurship and startup life. Okay. So a lot of people that listen to my podcast are trying to figure out their like career paths. Quickly, I'll tell you for me, I've done a bunch of things. I was, I, I went to UT Austin. I worked at Enron, which didn't work out. I became a backup Bollywood dancer. I went to law school, became a lawyer, and then got married and became a writer, entrepreneur, and now I'm podcasting. Whatever. It is what it is. It's been great. I, I know what I have learned from the randomness of my journey. 
What do you think is the best thing about bouncing? I, I, I guess lack of better terms, bouncing around. It's interesting, you know, getting back to the narrative. Uh, there's this startup program I went through. Um, that actually, you know, Vipin went through also. Uh, okay. Maybe he was a year or two before me. He might have been the inaugural class in NYU, a nonprofit that helps first-time founders, first-time full-time founders get through uh, the journey of being an entrepreneur. And we do this thing called an entrepreneurial journey. And it's three okay. slides, three minutes, you tell your story. And I was invited back this year to speak to this class and give my journey. And my journey for the last 10 years has been the same three slides. And I just add the next job to it to tell my right. story. Right. And I decided this year on the point of narratives, I'm going to tell my story. I'm the space guy. It took me 40 years, but I made it happen. And I realized that when you look at my story backwards, it adds up perfectly. It looks like I planned every single one of these moments because one of my biggest value adds to Axiom right now is my startup experience. Right. It's actually my corporate experience. You know, it is both. My passion for space, sure. But it's really the other stuff. So it's like, wow, how did you know? I didn't. Absolutely right. not. I didn't know. You know, getting back to doctor and lawyer, when I got to Columbia, I was pre-med. I could not pass chemistry for the life of me. I literally could not get more than a C. And then finally, after the fourth time, I just accepted the C. Totally. That's me. Totally. I was in the engineering school. And the only degree that you could uh, complete, matriculate in with one semester of chemistry is computer science. <laughs> so yeah, I love computers. I worked at Google Cloud. I had these tech startups. Sure. Back when I was 18. I was thinking about that. I mean, some people, are, I mean, some people are right. really, I wasn't, right. I was having the time of my life. Right. You know, um, here's another funny, quick story about doctors. One of my best friends uh, from freshman year of college, still one of my uh, close friends, friends with Mega also, her name is Thara. Right. Um, she is a doctor. She's, she's a, a world famous doctor now. We were freshman year roommates and I would consider her one of my best friends. And she was at my wedding. We keep in touch. And I'm talking not even that long ago, we're on, my parents know her, I met her parents, we're on FaceTime, and I'm at my parents' house, and I, my mom's like, who is that? I'm like, oh, you remember Thara from the wedding, uh, Thara Gangadhar, and my mom just out of nowhere says, oh, there was a guy in my medical school named Gangadhar, and all of a sudden her dad pops in, he's like, oh, Chani, is that you? They haven't seen each other in 50 years. They went to medical school together in Bangalore. And of course Thara, they did. And Thar and I look at each other and we're like, how good friends are we? If literally we met in 96, it never even came up that that's even a possibility. But It's weird. And I'll be, I'll be a little cheesy. It's like the weird, this is the energy, man. You just know it, right? Like, or, it's just, or we're just all the same. Or we're all the same. Yeah. We're all, we're all no borders. There's no yeah, borders. Sure. Yeah. Let's go back, back to that. Last few questions, I swear. But I have to ask these things. You're married. You have a six-year-old son. Son. What do your weekends look like now? What do you do when you're not looking into space? This is interesting. Uh, I would love to sleep in. Physically, it's not possible anymore. I just don't think ever in my life again I'll be able to sleep past. Well, never. Seven. No. Um, my ideal day is we lazy morning. Um, my son still comes into our bed. Sometimes we do a pajama party the night before embrace it. Well, at breakfast at home, we usually go to brunch at this place called cook shop. Okay. Um, we usually, we have to get there pretty early cause 
even in the pandemic, there's a long wait, like literally, like you see those young people, like having brunch at three 30. Like, wait, what pandemic? We <laughs> uh, and then, you know, right, right now it's a lot of play dates, some activity, come home. I don't, we don't really go out much. It's a very like yeah. peaceful, I won't say boring, peaceful parent life. Uh, I'll, I'm have, totally with you. A couple of things have happened. My, um, my job requires me to travel a lot. I have decided that I don't really need any extra time. It's like sucks that I can't see some of my friends sometimes in other cities, but I will bookend my trips just to the minimum amount of time I need to be in that city for my meeting. So that could mean 72 hours in Dubai. It literally 48 hours in Monaco. I did that once. Um, this LA trip, I'm doing a little longer because there's something happening on Sunday, but uh, in general, I would come home. Like, Damn I, I would, it. Can I, I come with you? I won't, I won't miss my weekends. Yeah. Um, and it's to be here. These are moments that I don't want to miss. And as, as important as my career is to me, important as this experience and opportunity is to me, uh, being there for my family right now is much more important. And it's not easy. You know, like I have, um, because of this travel, my wife has a somewhat flexible schedule. And I don't mean flexible. She can completely do whatever she wants, whatever she wants. She has to work about five days every week. And she can okay. pick those days in advance. Okay. So when we know I'm traveling and he has a day off, she'll take like Tuesday off. But then she'll have to work that weekend. That's Got Saturday. It. So Got it's it. a trade-off. Yeah. It's a trade-off. Well, high five to your wife. I know yeah. how it feels to have a husband traveling a lot. So again, cheesy get to know your question, but I, I, I love the answer to this. What would you tell your 18-year-old self? You know, it's – I would – I would tell myself to enjoy. And that's not to say I didn't enjoy. I enjoyed a lot. But they feel like memories. And they are memories. We create these awesome memories, right. but we don't create them for them to become memories. Life isn't about remembering what you did. Life is about living that moment. Living, yeah. And I, I, have, a, I have a personal challenge with staying in the present moment. It's really hard for me anyway. I think a lot of us do, though. I think that's the, the biggest human challenge, honestly. Yeah. And honestly. It, if I could really boil it down, it would be enjoy. Yeah. I would say like, hey, if I had hit a level of self-awareness earlier in my life, I might be happier, better off, whatever. But that's hard. I mean, again, some people hit that. It's so early. hard. I think self-awareness takes time and years and age. And and I'm being an asshole right now. But like people that you know are in their 20s and 30s that are giving advice on whatever social media platform. I'm sure. I'm sure people have been through... Everyone has their own journey. I still have a belief that it takes time yeah. to understand your journey. And time means age, I think. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe I'm old school. Uh, you know, maybe, I maybe, I'm, maybe I'm Gen X. Again, I'm sure there's there's tons of people yeah. in their 20s that have gone through way more than I have. I know. I don't, I don't think time means age. I think like, the cheesy way would be time means experience. But I, I, I think time literally, literally means life lived. And when I mean life lived, I mean lived in that moment. The number of present okay. moments where you have the opportunity to be self-aware. Um, you know what? what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take that from you now. Okay, great. Yeah. You can steal my Google. I'll steal whatever yeah. you just got. Awesome. <laughs> Four people, dead or alive, that you could sit down with and have dinner with. Yeah. Um, my grandparents. Which side? Both. Both. Um, I all... Three of my four grandparents died uh, when I was young. Okay. And 
tragically, horrifically. So I had one grandparent. In India? Was this in in India? Yeah, two in India, one who lived with us and went back at the wrong time, uh, wrong place, wrong time. I was young. I was six. And it's worst thing ever that happened in my life. Maybe, maybe, maybe depression was a little worse. Maybe. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I, I, you know, I was very close to him. I was young. I don't really remember, but I'd love to see him again. I didn't really know my mom's parents that much, but I would love to know them. I'd love to know about my mom. Right. I mean, I could ask her, but. (laughs) But still, (laughs) parents are, grandparents are a whole different avenue. You know, like, it's like all of a sudden I'm like, it would be easier to resurrect my dead grandparents and ask them about my mom <laughs> and actually have to call her and talk about it. Because, you know, it would be nice for a second and then it would get judgmental. And I'd be like, either way, it would get judgmental. Right, like, I gotta, right, right. We gotta right, go. Right. Um, and then my grandmother lived with us first. She lived a long, healthy life and had a peaceful death. Um, and I would just, I'd love to see them again. Yeah. I, I'm going to caveat for one second, really. I know we're almost, we're end of time, but... You mentioned depression. You have gone through depression. You mentioned it just now. I really appreciate you even talking about it because South Asians do not. Um, a lot of us have gone through it. I'm sure I have. That I didn't even really realize it. Any advice for South Asians that can't talk about it? Yeah, you know, maybe this advice, I, I changed my answer about going back to when I was 18. That voice in your head is your mind. That's you. That's you being really mean to yourself. Like maybe that's mirroring what your parents did. Maybe it's some other experience. Right. That's you. That's on you. And like, if you, one of the things I did during depression is I, I had this amazing therapist and we did cognitive behavioral therapy, basically rewiring your brain. Right. And 18 month process. And six, first six months was literally every negative thought you have, write down on a piece of paper. And when I was healed, I went back and looked at that paper and I destroyed it. And I destroyed it because I was really nervous that my parents might see it. My wife might see it. My kid might see it. Of course. And not that it would scare them, but that they knew how mean I could be. And luckily that was not luckily, but it was mean to myself. But if, if you, if those words, the negative thoughts, right. But if the words, literally the words, the voice were saying, I would never speak those for another person, even right. my worst enemy. Yet I had no problem doing that to myself. To yourself. You know, right. so that level of compassion. So, Same way. You know, and I also think if we want to speak specifically about South Asians and the stigma in the community, talk to your friends, talk yeah. to your siblings, talk to anybody. I actually think parents are better than we think. They you are. Know, during, during my depression, I had no choice. Right. However, I also did something where if hopefully I never get depressed again, statistically, we know it comes back. One thing I did was try to find the root of why I was depressed. And I dug deep. I dug into the trauma when my grandfather was killed. I dug into the bullying that I felt and the racism I felt and the hatred and anger I had towards the people that caused us harm. And that digging didn't help. It did not come to any sort of answer. I know a little bit more about that stuff. Am but I you try. At least, at least you, at least you try to try to, to dig into it a little bit. Right? So what you I'm had saying to. is, I do, I, no, I was, I'm thinking that's a mistake. Oh, it's a mistake. If, if I had just come to the realization that this is an illness, I'm sick. Got it. You wouldn't do that for diabetes. But you wouldn't. But you wouldn't know that unless you tried all these options, yeah, right? So How would you have known? There's no way to know. But right. uh, you know, one of my biggest fears right now is becoming depressed again. 
it's not going to space. I'd love to go to space. It's not, it's not, you know, like taking you will, you will. Uh, but it's really my biggest fear is that darkness. Mm. And well, look, you're aware of it, right? I think that's, isn't that the biggest step? Like, you know, that's there, it could happen. And I don't know if the word is prepared for it, but at least, you know, the word is aware. It's literally, it's aware. Yeah. Yeah. That's the biggest thing. If you're not aware, then yeah. Holy shit. That's scary. Right. What's the word? Naming it, naming it and putting it out there. Naming it. Right. Having a vocabulary for it, which I think none of us growing up really had. Like, I feel like, again, I've had two, two kids, one miscarriage, and I'm pretty sure I went through some kind of postpartum, but I don't even think I put a name. I don't even, I don't, I know now I did. Yeah. At the time. Didn't know I was depressed. I had no idea. Yeah. I was like, oh, wait a minute. Yeah. I was not doing well. And and maybe, you know, again, this getting back to narrative and how we talk about our own community. We say stigma. We say, but like the number of friends we probably all have that the number of close friends I have, Indians that I can talk to about this, that it's totally cool. Makes me think there maybe isn't a stigma. But to your point, we don't have the vocabulary. Right. We don't have the tools. Right. And our parents, I don't want to blame them. But all the stuff they were worried about, this probably wasn't one of them. And their parents definitely didn't talk to them about it. So when it when it hit them, and again, my mom's a doctor too. And, you know, I talk about this trauma I dealt with. Imagine what my dad dealt with. It was his dad. Yet they approached it very differently. Like maybe they, I don't want to say they didn't need the tools. Everyone needs it. But we just weren't equipped with those tools. No. And I think we have a responsibility to our friends and to our children to equip them with those tools. Yeah. We're lucky enough to be able to do it. And I... I'm slowly talking to my parents about kind of stuff I'm discovering about them and thinking or, or, or saying, hey, dad, mom, maybe you feel this way because dada or ba or this. It's just it's a slow. They'll never go to therapy. Never. Right. And so anyways. All right. I digress. We can talk about this forever. Last question. At the end of the day, at the end of life, how do you want people to remember you? I want my wife to know that I am appreciative for everything that she's gone through with me. Um, and that despite being an asshole at times, often, uh, she's my number one, hundred percent. And I tell my son this often, he's like, what, what about me? And I'm like, don't worry, you're my number two, which is a little bit of a poop joke. And he laughs and it's, it's fine. I love second, the poop jokes. Second, my son, I'm not going to say anything about my parents here. And this is the point. Um, when I think about my son, I want to say, I want him to know he lo- that I loved him but it doesn't matter, right? It matters that he loves himself. And it's good, of course, everyone wants a dad that loved them. But at the end of the day, you, me, obviously maybe as parents, it's easier. This is our life, right? They did the best they could. Hopefully we took the best out of it that we can. I just want him to know that the love for himself is the most important. His parents love him, that's a given. Um, And then for my friends, family, colleagues, I want them to know that I was in their corner, always. I always go back to relationships first and I cared. I gave a shit. I want people to, I think, you know, across the board, I want everyone to remember I gave a shit. Right. Well, I will tell you as a person that just met you about an hour and six minutes ago, the fact that you were willing to give me an hour of your time, even though you didn't know me, uh, I've done a lot of interviews and 90% of them I know. Uh, so I will tell you that I appreciate the fact that you gave me a chance and to get to know someone new. 
So right. you do give a shit. And I think that makes a big difference. And at the end of the day, I think life is all about relationships. Great. Well, okay. thank you so much. This was fun. Yes. I think when the NASA space program ended, I think back in 2011, a lot of us were really sad. We grew up with NASA and with the space program as as kids. And so it's really cool to see the space program renewed in such a unique way by these companies. I actually grew up in Clear Lake, which is where NASA is located right next to. Um, and my neighbor was an astronaut. His name is Mike Mullane. And he flew three missions in the 80s and 90s. So shout out to Mr. Mullane if you're listening. You guys, please follow Axiom uh, on all socials, Axiom Space. And check out their website, axiomspace.com. You know where to find me. And I finally started my newsletters. So please sign up. They're really funny and they're short. And I think pretty funny. Did I say that? Omnitucker.substack.com. Thank you guys for listening. This is Tuckered Out.